What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Andy Hackers Podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How did they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here is always so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own successful businesses. Today, I'm talking to Mark Firstain, the CEO of a company called Recapped. How's it going, Mark? Welcome to the show. Uh, it's going well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Of course. I first met you almost exactly a year ago. I think it was last March at the first Indie Hackers meetup that we ever had in San Francisco. And I think you were the one who suggested the location that we all meet up at Southern Pacific Brewing Company. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I can't believe it's already been a year. I mean, I love that brewing place. It's perfect for meetups. We still have meetups there every now and then. Uh, nice. The last time I talked to you was just a few weeks ago, and you were so hyped yep. about your company, man. Like you had just broken through some sort of wall. I'd never heard you that excited to talk about recap. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's gotten you excited in recent days? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I'm really hesitant on saying we found product market fit because, you know, there's 20 different definitions out there. And for some people, that means we have, you know, 20 million customers begging to give us money, which isn't the case. But I'd say we are very close there to like actually figuring out exactly what people want. And for me, that's really been like the biggest challenge for the last six months. Or really, I guess the past year, you know, we had really identified like the core market that we were going after, the problems we were solving, and really started working on that messaging and getting it to a point where it's actually really clear. So now when I tell people what we do, now all of a sudden they're not giving us this like confused look. Now they're, they answer more often than not is, that's really cool. Give me your business card. Let's schedule a time. And that that's what really has been getting me excited. Well, this is why I'm excited to have you on the show, Mark. I talked to so many people on here who are building these huge companies. They're doing millions or tens of millions in revenue. They have dozens or hundreds of employees. And they don't quite remember what it was like to first have that transition where people's eyes no longer glazed over when they would tell them what they're working on or how it was supposed to solve their problems. <laughs> You are at the point now, Mark, where I would say that you've struggled a lot and you've learned a lot, but you haven't made it so far that you don't remember this early pain. Would you say that's an accurate portrayal of where you're at? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I'm excited for when we're, you know, we have millions of revenue and dozens of employees, but right now I think like this is the really fun stuff, right? Where you're, where I'm in the, I'm in the pits, I'm on the phone calls, I'm helping close our key customers. Yeah. I mean, everything is breaking every day, right? And that's like, for me, that gets me really excited because otherwise I'm just going to be bored and not as productive as I should be. So give us a sense of where you are in terms of revenue, if you share that, or employees, customers, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So we have four employees now. We have a couple thousand in monthly revenue coming in. And we have all said and done about 1,500 customers. But a gross majority of those came in from like a lifetime deal that we did uh, through a partnership with AppSumo. Okay, so let's let's go back to the beginning. Not the beginning of Recapped, but even before that. When do you think it was that you were first inspired to do your own thing, to work on your own projects? Yeah, uh, good question. I mean, I think this is from the early days, right? So I think this is something that's always been really a part of my identity. Uh, like, for example, back when I was even in middle school, you know, my dad got us a like CD burner, and we were one of the first ones in the like in the neighborhood. And so I, every week, I actually would burn like a mix of songs and sell them for like $5. So I would have these like Mark mixes. And that was like just an early hustle for me to start making money. And I mean, I'd been doing stuff like that all through high school, all through college. So I think very early on, I knew I wanted to do my own business. I just didn't know what it was. Would you say other people in your life would have described you as like an entrepreneur in the making? Or did you sort of project that you were on some other path? Yeah, great question. So I think I fought it for a large portion of my life. You know, in college, for example, everyone kept telling me to go into sales. And like most people, you know, when you think of sales, or when I thought of sales, I pictured this like greasy, you know, slick back hair, uh, you know, someone that's trying to sell your snake oil. And for me, that's not what I wanted to associate myself with. But actually, when I ended up getting my first sales job, I realized how right everybody was. So I think it's something that everyone described me as, but I didn't identify with it for a very long time. One of the cool things about going into sales is that I think it really illustrates the fact that everyone is a business, even if you're an employee. There are a lot of jobs where you just sort of get compensated 
yep. you know, on just a normal salary. But as a salesperson, you're getting commission, and so you're incentivized to go out and do the thing that you're supposed to do. And I think it's much closer to the realization of being an entrepreneur than most other jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, there's so many different parallels between sales and other aspects, right? Like sales and dating. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, right? Like you have, I mean, everything is sales. And there's a couple of great books on this that if you can sell, you can make so many other parts of your life be more successful. So when did you start your very first business? Yeah. So my very first, I guess, official business uh, was actually when I was working still in sales at Citrix. I was a sales manager at the time. And I'd always been, I mean, I'm a huge nerd, so I've always been playing video games. And I had this idea for a, mo- a mobile app with some of my friends. And so we created this company called TryHard Games, uh, just as kind of a joke because we were a bunch of tryhards. And we created this mobile game, which <laughs> ended up being a huge flop. But it was probably the best year of my life in terms of like pure fun because, you know, after coming home from work every day, like six o'clock, we would still work on it for two or three hours every night and every Saturday and Sunday for about 12 hours. And not once did it feel like work, which to me was kind of the realization when I realized that my skill set and what I like to do falls very much in taking something from zero to one rather than from one to 10, for example. And that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I know a lot of people who work in sales. I don't know a lot of people who work in sales and have the belief that they can just up and start a video game company. What gave you the sense that this was even possible? <laughs> yeah, I, I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm like incredibly optimistic, like almost to, to a fault for sure. I, I'd say it's one of my biggest strengths and weaknesses. Like I overestimate or I guess underestimate a lot of things. And I'm just like, yeah, how hard could it be? And it always, almost always comes up back and bites me in the ass. But I still enjoy it because when I thought about it, I was like, oh, this app will take us one month to make. And then we're going to make $3 million off of it because it's going to be great, right? Like what other alternative is there? It took about a year and a half. We made $4,000. But still, like, I think that's really what it comes down to is just like, I'm so optimistic, like ignorantly so. About most things, actually. I think that optimism is pretty common with founders, with creative types who actually start things. And I think it's because of the fact that it leads to this kind of self-delusion. <laughs> I've been in the same place yep. where it's like, I'm going to start something new, and it's going to be this huge thing in this short period of time. And I think if you don't believe that, it's harder to take the first step. But if you do believe oh, that, absolutely. you take that first step, and then you're committed. You know, It's hard to quit, so you have to keep going. Yeah, for sure. And then your ego starts playing into it and you're like, well, I've already told all my friends that I'm doing this. Yeah. So now I have to keep doing it. It's, uh, yeah, like for me, you know, one of my, I guess, biggest like inspirations, and this is probably going to get a lot of flack, is like Kanye West, who is like the poster child for like self belief, right? And like this ignorance that comes with it. And I think that's kind of been like one of the, like the things that kind of helped me channel that. So walk me through the, process of starting a video game company, especially as someone who's working a full-time sales job, what's the first thing you guys did? Yeah. So I've, I'm one of those people that I have like my notes section on my phone. I probably have like a new business idea at least once a week. Right. And so I have this like huge list of like hundreds of ideas and I was sitting there playing, I think it was Tetris on my phone one day. And I like, I was like, it would be really cool if Tetris did this instead. So immediately like my first natural instinct is to write it down and like start drawing it out. So I, I took, uh, you know, I had like my iPad at the time and I sketched out what the app should actually look like. Then, so then I kind of like put that away. About a week later, came back to it, kept adding to it, and I just found myself really drawn to this idea. And I guess really the game was, you know, you have these different dots that are dropping from the screen and there are multiple colors and you have to connect them or connect the same colored ones before they hit the bottom of the screen. So kind of like Fruit Ninja meets Tetris, very simple idea, but like I get really competitive and for me, it's those little like repetitive tasks that get me going. Immediately, I, I walked into my you know roommate's room at the time, who was also my best friend, like 18 years, told him about this idea and he's like, all right, I'm on board because he got bumped off, you know, he got pumped off of my, my enthusiasm for it. Then we realized that's great. Like we're these two guys who are both in sales. We don't know shit about coding. Right. So we're like, okay, well, we need to figure that part out. 
luckily one of my best friends also was a, uh, a developer at IBM at the time, actually. So we got him on the project. He brought on his other two friends. Next thing you know, there's six of us in my living room eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew every day of the week. So what's your role here? Are you lead game designer? Are you sketching out how the game's going to work? Are you putting your sales abilities to work and trying to land some sort of deals? Yeah, in hindsight, I don't know why anyone actually like <laughs> worked with me. I literally was just like, <laughs> every like month we would like change focus and try and do something differently. And it's because like I would try a new game and be like, would it be really great if we could do this instead? And like looking back on it, working with me was probably just the biggest pain in the ass. Yeah, so I was sketching ideas. I was like designing the game, I guess. I was like the creative director at the time, but with like no real training in it and zero like execution skills. I think really it was just like the pure enthusiasm and like we had nothing better to do, right? It was at the end of the day, it was really fun. And I think that's what kept us driving. So you're not working on this game today, which means that you eventually stopped working on it. How did that come to pass? Yeah, so the project that was supposed to take a month and get us a couple million dollars was uh, about a year and a half. We finally released it. You know, I, I still think like actually, if I were to go back and do a third version of it, it could be really successful, and that's still like on my agenda to do uh, later down the road. But one of the biggest, so we released it right. It it actually did get top ten action games on the Apple Store for about like three or four weeks. So we got a ton of different downloads, but. What we realized is, you know, we are these hardcore gamers who are like playing World of Warcraft and, you know, are like in these like serious raiding guilds at the time and like really like literally like hardcore gamers. And we were trying to make this game for the casual market, right? The mom that's sitting in a grocery store in line playing a game and like those two do not line up, right? And so one thing is we, A, we didn't understand our market and B, we didn't play to our strengths. So if we had actually made like a competitive game for competitive people or a casual game for casual people, I think we would have seen a lot of success. And those were, I'd say, probably some of my biggest learnings from doing that is you really just have to understand who your market is, right? Like, for example, if you're 45 and you don't use social media, you have no business making a social media startup, (laughs) right? Like, leave that to the 18-year-olds that are in college that are using social media every day, right? Focus on what you know best. And for us, that was a very heavy lesson to learn. This is where the downsides of the wild entrepreneurial optimism come into play. Because Definitely. yeah, it gets you started. It gets you to take that first step, that first leap and start a company where most people will be afraid to, but you're so confident that you do it. But then you know, it might cloud your judgment and stop you from asking some of the tough questions about whether or not your business idea is actually a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I think that's one of the things that like later on in my other projects, when I would look for a co-founder or someone to work with, I knew I needed someone that would be more factual and more, I guess, let's say, you know, down to earth, where when I have these like crazy optimistic things, they tell me, okay, that's great, Mark. I love it. But let's take a step back. Let's focus on the details. How are you actually going to do this? Or, or what about this, you know, one factor that you'd even think about? Right. And I think having that kind of like yin and yang balance can be really, really powerful. What are some of the things you guys did right when you were working on this video game company? Yeah, good question. So I think the like the amount of downloads and the success that we had on the App Store, all of it came from word of mouth. So in some aspect, like the game was enjoyable. And at the end of the day, like we had fun with it. And I think a testament to that is after working on it on a year and a half, everyone on the group still actually played it, which I think that's really rare because after a year and a half, the last thing you want to do is work on something that, or play something that you've actually been working on, right? And I think, so one of the things is we did actually make it enjoyable and we made it fun. And ultimately, I mean, that's the end goal for video games and I guess really most entertainment in general. And I think that was our biggest success. I want to move on and talk about your current business, Recapped. But you mentioned that you were a hardcore gamer and that you played a lot of World of Warcraft with your friends back in the day. And I've only had one other guest on the podcast who played World of Warcraft. That's Patrick McKenzie, a.k.a. Patio11. And we talked about it for a little bit, so i got to talk about it with you as well because I also played a ton of World of Warcraft back in the day. In fact, yep. Channing, my twin brother who runs Indie Hackers with me, was my co-guild master. And nice. it's funny. You just start playing this game, and you pour a lot of time into it. And eventually, at the highest levels, it would get super competitive, 
And before you knew it, like Channing and I had this tiny guild of like 10 people and we kept recruiting and growing. And eventually we had 200 people and 40 <laughs> of them would sign on every night to do raids. And we appointed officers to sort of lead their units. And we hired a developer to build out our website and our forums. And oh, it's crazy because you're just a kid playing this game and you don't realize that like the things you're doing are kind of the same things that people running businesses are doing. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, I actually, I think in my first sales interview, uh, after college, when they asked me like if I had any leadership experience, jo- jokingly I told them that I had experience re- leading a World of Warcraft like guild, and clearly the person interviewing me had no idea what video games were. <laughs> but I mean, I think you you hit on such a good point in that the lessons you learn there can be applied to a lot of different things, right? At the end of the day, like there's a strict schedule that we like adhere to, right? And I mean, granted, we were like in high school, and college. Every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're on there, we're ready, we're good to go, and you have 40 people that you're playing with, right? And having that kind of teamwork and having that specialization, like that can be applied to anything, right? Whether you're in a marketing role or you're, you're doing sales or you're the co-founder, like you have to work with other people. And so you have communication, you have you know, discipline, you have, and then really I think that just the competitiveness, right? Like for us, when we were playing like you know each of these servers would have like rankings of guilds and everyone was competing for that number one spot and for me that's really what drove me i didn't give a shit about you know accomplishing something i just wanted to be better than someone else just wanted to win i just wanted to win like i hate losing like winning is all right it's cool but losing nothing infuriates me more in the world than losing like i like i was playing ping pong against someone the other day and they're like oh don't let me win because you know you're trying to win my business and I, like I put the paddle down, I looked at him and I said, "No, you don't know me. Like I will never lose on purpose." And and I think for me that was really the biggest driver. Yeah, I remember doing what essentially amounted to like PR every month, so that we could show how good we were and recruit better players than the other guilds on our server. Absolutely, it's just so much, man. There's there was like a culture thing too, where as the guild leader, you always just wanted your team to do cool things, but you would start attracting these players who were just in it for the loot, and you had to deal with that somehow. There's the fact that the team you're leading is 100% remote. And I, I think at Recapped, you also have a remote team. Is that right? It is, yeah. World of Warcraft. It's a bunch of kids <laughs> all over the world. And you got to somehow get them to coordinate and learn these things and work together. So it's, I, I wonder if, how much predictive power there is with, behind somebody running a World of Warcraft guild and later on starting some sort of tech company. Yeah, that's so funny. I didn't even think about the remote workforce. Yeah, man. This is 14, 15 years ago, too. It's just crazy to think about. Anyway, enough about video games. You eventually shuttered your video game company after working on it for a year and a half. What was it like making that decision? Yeah, I mean, for me, so this is actually something that I ultimately want to come back to. And I think once we see kind of the, the success that I want to see with Recapped, my next passion project is going to be launching another indie kind of video game company. And I, I see myself doing that for a very long time just because that is so integral kind of to my childhood and, and what I value, it really just like a creative outlet for me. So after we released it, you know, we worked on another app, but by that time I had moved to California uh, to help lead up some sales teams out there. And it was really difficult not being in the same room, kind of lost its magic. So ultimately we ended up just winding it down. But again, since it was only just for fun, the day it stopped being fun is when we decided we can all step away from this. While we had such a great team that we were working on it, like at the end of the day, we also had jobs that were paying us a lot more money than this ever was. And so like it wasn't really a hard decision. And in fact, like we're all still really good friends. And we only always joke about and like send memes to each other uh, about something like Dot Drop, which is our first game that we released. Would you describe yourself as a future focused person? Like when you say you quit and you didn't really have any regrets and that you guys were just ready to go? Were you excited about new adventures in the future? Oh, always. Uh, again, I think going back to kind of like my ever optimism is one thing I'm working on right now actually is meditating and working on the present because of how much of a future focused person I am. Like I, I want to run and I want to fly before I can crawl usually. What were you excited about after winding down your gaming company? Yeah, so I had just actually landed my first like real sales leadership position in San Francisco uh, at App Academy, which is actually you know a coding bootcamp, kind of similar to Lambda School when you had Austin All Red on, and so I was now actually kind of stepping into you know quote unquote like the big leagues, right? I was director of sales, and you know, I was twenty seven at the time. I wanted to be taken seriously, so it 
it fell very much in line with kind of shutting down for once, stopping to focus on any side projects. And, you know, it made a lot of sense at that point to really just put my head down and really focus on being the best sales leader I could be instead of, you know, maybe saying 80 or 90% in this like cushy role that I had before that. So when you first went into this video game company, you were boosted by, but also plagued by excessive optimism. Was that the case as a sales leader? Do you feel like your optimism drove the way that you approached the job? I think so. And I think ultimately that's like one of the reasons that I was actually hired is, you know, I saw a lot of different avenues and I, I really do believe that coding is like modern day magic, right? Like you have an idea and all of a sudden you go and you create it, right? Like to me, as someone that's been, you know, quote unquote, learning to code for the last five years unsuccessfully, like that's like one of the coolest skill sets to have. And the value that you can create or the life change that you can create just by learning how to code really, really stood out to me. And it was something that I really resonated with. And for me, that was like, like I, I saw these 10 different avenues that we could go down and like selling something that you believe in, I ultimately think is like the easiest job in the world, right? And it's like unfair how much you can make doing that uh, just because like it feels so fun, right? Like you're already, you're already going to be talking about this and now someone wants to pay you a lot of money to do it. That's like the ultimate win. How much is sales a, a matter of having this enthusiasm and optimism? How much is it having the right tactics and the right know-how? Because most of us have no sales experience. Most of the founders I talk to have no sales experience. What do they need to learn besides to just be jazzed about what they're building? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think ultimately, and I was going to do a course on this, uh, as kind of like a selling for founders, just because I do think of sales almost as like a framework right? If we compare it to engineering, right? Like a lot of people will look at sales and think it's just like mysterious black box, right? It's like, oh, you have to be natural at it. I really disagree with that because I think almost anyone could be pretty decent at it. Like there are methodologies and frameworks that you can employ and actually get pretty good results. But here's the thing. if you Even if you have the best sales tactics and you're not doing it organically and authentically, I think you're going to get bad results. But I think the reverse is not true. So if you are actually passionate about something and believe in what you're doing and believe that your solution or your product is going to make someone else's life better, then that will win out even if you don't have the sales tactics. And then ultimately, I mean, I think the other the aspect of it is like sales is a numbers game. And the harder you work, the more likely you are to succeed. So even if you have the worst tactics and like some enthusiasm, if you just work your ass off and put in twice the effort that someone else does, you're probably going to be successful to some extent. A lot of this aligns with advice on what kind of company you should be building as a founder. People say to follow your passions and work on what you like. And you know maybe that's not sufficient, but it should be necessary. Because if you work on something that you really don't like, how are you going to sell it to anybody else, like you just pointed out? Exactly. And like you said, with sales being a numbers game, that means you have to get out of the building and talk to people. And as a founder, I think it's very easy to just sort of shut yourself up in your room, especially if you're a programmer, to just code for yep. 12 months at a time, not talk to anybody. And you know the numbers at that point are zero. How many people have you talked to? How many people have you sold to? How many people have you gotten feedback from? Absolutely nobody. No, absolutely. But in some aspect, I mean, that's the easier option, right? Because you're not being vulnerable and you're not getting rejection, right? Because rejection sucks. And the worst thing out there is like having this great idea and then you go and talk to 10 people and they all shit on it. Right. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, maybe this idea was stupid. And that's a lot harder, I think, than actually just sitting in your room for the next 12 months and working on something, you know, by yourself. Yeah. Arguably, the thing that you need the most as a founder in the early days is rejection. You need people to tell you why they're not going to buy the thing that you're building so you can find the people who will buy it or so you can make it better. And it's so easy to do the opposite and just convince yourself that no, what you actually need to do is just work for three or four more months. And then people love what you're building. And then, you know, you won't get rejected. But in actuality, if you do that, you're just setting yourself up for the ultimate rejection. Exactly. Right. And I, I think that's a really easy trap to fall into. And I mean, I've been there myself. So obviously, you did not stay at App Academy forever because today you are full time on your own business, Recapped. When did the idea first enter your mind that you might want to start another startup? <sighs> so, one of the reasons, so I was actually, when I first started my sales career, I was in North Carolina and Raleigh uh, working at this great company called Citrix pretty big conglomerate. Ultimately, I knew at the end of the day, 
that when I first started working there, I would end up in Silicon Valley in some aspect, right? Like growing up, this was like seen as the Mecca, right? And as someone who had this like intersection for, you know, like new technology, right? Like always being kind of immersed in like whatever new tech is out there. And also like the sales, like it just made so much sense for me to end up there. So ultimately, you know, I got very lucky in that we had a couple open positions in Santa Barbara, California. So I went down there for a while. And then when I took the position in App Academy in San Francisco, I knew all of that would eventually lead me to either co-founding or starting my own business. So I'd say immediately. You've got this ideas list that you sort of carry around with you all day. You're adding to it. You're probably refining your ideas. What was it about the idea for Recapped that stood out to you compared to the other ideas on the list? Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, it was just something I needed. And, you know, so we were working these larger deals and we were working, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with like business to business sales, but on average, it, it can be really, really difficult, right? You have, especially with complex sales or with bigger ticket items, you have six, seven, eight different people that need to sign off on something, right? And there was like all this technology out there that helped us find leads and get people's phone numbers and, and their LinkedIn email address and whatever. But like the actual working and collaborating with those people, there was nothing. And for me personally, it's just something that I needed for my team because I was just tired of us losing all these deals. And that was a direct hit on my compensation. And frankly, I just, I just wanted to make more money and I wanted to save my rep some time. And when I looked in the marketplace, I couldn't find anything out there. So going back to kind of the you know, naiveness that I had, I was like, oh, how hard can this be? I'll go ahead and create it myself. It should only take a month. Fast forward to about two and a half years later, and here we are. It's fascinating to me when people describe this process of working a job, really needing a tool, not finding anything out there that does the right thing, and then creating it on their own. Why do you think no one else had built this tool? It's a great question. And something that, you know, actually, I was just at a conference the other day, and someone was like, when I showed them what we do, their immediate reaction was, like, why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? Why hasn't someone done this five years ago? I think it's really easy to just take things for granted, right? As this is the way that it's always been, right? And, you know, sending 20 different follow-up emails and CCing five different people and, you know, hoping that like something is in Dropbox and, you know, the proposal is somewhere else and all, all of these different things are scattered. Like that's just the way it is, right? And accepting it as kind of the status quo. Whereas I, I'm incredibly lazy. Like I think like if it's not, inc- if it, I want to make everything as efficient as possible. So I think really it was just the, lucky intersection of this is something I needed, but also something that didn't seem that difficult to like, like implement and that it should just be already implemented. But I think it's really easy to just not think outside of the box, right? And really just say, okay, this is the way we've been doing it. This is the way it'll always go. Yeah, I think all of us run into ideas or potential you know, ideas, problems that could be solved that might be valuable and we just sort of they don't really land. You know what I mean? They don't really hit us as something that this can be a potential business idea. I should work on this. It's just like, oh, this is annoying. And you go about your day. So it's it's interesting to see the moment at which that light sort of flicks on in your head. And you're like, wait, this is something more than just a problem. This is something I can solve and turn into a business. Well, yeah. And I I think, I mean, ultimately, thanks to you and your brother, I think that's what, you know, Indie Hackers was a big involvement, I think, in my personal creation of Recap. Because you, you say that you're like, oh, this is just this little thing. But then you're doing interview podcasts. And this was, you know, a year, two years ago when I first started being part of the community. You have someone that solves this really small point. Like, you know, for example, they do a widget for locating maps, right? And all of a sudden that widget is bringing them $10,000 in recurring revenue every month, right? Like in that realization that even though it seems so simple, if it's providing value for someone, you can have a great lifestyle business off of it. And that's like one of my favorite aspects of what you guys do at Indie Hackers is like it shows that you don't have to have this billion dollar Silicon Valley, you know, 21 year old raised $50 million like type business. Yeah, that's the goal, man. And I'm glad to hear that it played a role for you. I remember reading a lot of your posts on the forum before we had that meetup. So this is 2017. Uh, yeah. I actually pulled one up right now. It says, it's called <laughs> Tear My Website Apart Sales oh, Enablement Startup <laughs> by Mark Frischstein. And it's, you said, hey, all, we're getting ready to launch and we're hoping to get some feedback. And this is well before you actually launched. You're just getting feedback on your idea, your landing page. Do you remember putting this post up? 
<sighs> Briefly, yeah. I I know I've done a couple versions since then, so I'm really curious how terrible the pitch is. Nah, it wasn't bad. People liked your post. I think you explicitly requested them to tear your landing page apart, and the feedback you got wasn't even that harsh, so you got off easy. But by the time you made this post, I mean, you had already committed to this idea. You'd put in the work to actually decide this is what you want to work on. And I'm curious about what it took to get to that point. So tell me about that validation process and how you settled on this one idea over all the others. Yeah, great question. So, you know, we, we had at that point, we had, I believe, this was like an alpha version of the app. I paid some coders to just scrap it together. You know, it cost me like a couple thousand dollars. And from that, with no marketing and really just like putting it up on my Facebook, I was able to get 10 paying customers, which sounds like a lot. I mean, it was like, I don't know, $200 a month, right? And at the time, I was, I was kind of like just getting jaded at work and I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing because I, I kept thinking about, you know, like I want to, I want my own thing, right? Like, you know, I helped drive millions in revenue the year before. And like, even though I was being paid very handsomely, I still got a very small percentage of that, right? And I, I think for me, it was like I, that realization coupled with the fact that I had like these 10 customers and I'd spent no time attaining them. So again, you know, being naive and I said, okay, well, if I got 10 customers and I spent five minutes, what could I actually accomplish if I, you know, spent 40 hours a week doing this? Right. And that was the kind of the turning point there. That's a very common thing among founders and indie hackers, which is this belief that your employer is not really going to pay you as much as you could make if you brought all of your skills to bear and started your own company or did something like that. And yeah. I kind of referenced this earlier when you were talking about sales. I was saying that everybody is a business. And it's really true. Like If you're an employee, you can kind of look at yourself as a business that has one customer, which is your employer, and you're selling your services to them in exchange for your salary. That's kind of your pricing. And when you did your interview, that was basically you selling your skills. That was you doing sales. Yep. And your competitors are all the other people who could have your job, basically. So it makes sense if you look at yourself that way to be sort of frustrated with your current position and say, I want to turn myself into an even better business where I have more than one customer and I can charge more <laughs> for my services and I don't have as many competitors. So it's not surprising at all to see you get frustrated with your job if you're thinking through that lens. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I think ultimately it even came down more so to the control versus even like the rewards. I know I'm, I'm a difficult person to work with. Like I am, if I believe something, it is going to be very stubborn and you know, like good luck changing my mind, right? And I, so I wanted, I realized that I would rather make 30 to 50% of what I was making, but do it on my own time and with my own energy and with my own kind of brand, then keep working for someone else. Right. And I think, you know, at this time, I also wanted to travel and I wanted to go spend a month in Thailand, which I still haven't done, but I wanted that freedom and I couldn't get that anywhere else. Let's talk about this phase where you actually built something and started making money. You paid a bunch of programmers to build a prototype. You posted about it on Facebook. And pretty soon you had 10 customers paying you $200 a month total. Walk us through that process and how this actually worked. Because so many people never get to this point of turning their idea and yeah, for sure. well, dollars online. Keep in mind, at this point, I had been working on it and kind of thinking through how to actually implement the app for about a year and a half. And the last six months there is really when the coders came in and actually brought it from like wire, you know, mockups and wire maps into actual like quote unquote working app, right? It, it barely did anything. And I, I think really the, the the biggest thing is I had already been spending so much time working on it and I was the ideal customer for it. Right. I was a VP of sales. I had, you know, this product that needed to be sold and to these people. And so I think I was very lucky. And I, this is why I always recommend solve something that you would pay for because you don't need to go out and interview as many different people. Right. You can just really just fix your own problem. Granted, you still want outside influence and feedback because you're going to lie to yourself. And, and I lied to myself as well while I was doing it. But it, it really did help that I was essentially the target market. Tell me about some of these lies you told to yourself about your early product and who was going to want it. Yeah. So for a couple, a couple of these, um, you know, I started working with, like, for example, you know, account executives. For anyone that's not in sales, account executives like the person who's actually making the sale, right? They're not usually entry level. They're working up. And I would start working with these account executives and I'd show them the product and they'd be really excited about it. And they're like, yeah, I can do this through email. I don't need this. For me, that was actually, then I started like changing the product to better suit them instead of realizing that 
this is not my target market. What I should be talking to is their boss or their VP of sales, who's just going to mandate that they use it. And then they really have no say in it anyways. (laughs) And like, it's so easy to get caught up and like take this rejection seriously. And like, I, I actually had a couple months there where I started like second guessing and thinking through other ideas that I had. And I was like, maybe recap isn't it. And it's, I think it's really easy to do that. And like, for me, even just lying to myself, like, I think you really need to know yourself, right? For me, I realized pretty early on that I'm not someone that's a, that could sit in his room for 12 hours a day, like hacking away, right? And putting together a product. Like I personally needed to be in a room with five other people who were just as excited and that would challenge me and keep me accountable. Because otherwise I would just turn into this like lazy piece of shit who did nothing and like would get depressed because I had no human interaction. But on the flip side, like if that's how you gain your energy and that's how you're the most effective, then you should do that. And I think you really need to ask yourself, like, when was the, when did you have the most fun, right? What was that environment like? When were you the most productive? When were you the most stressed, right? And take all of that and help facilitate that into how you're building a product or a business. That's really difficult to do because especially in the beginning of the business as the founder, you're, you're wearing all the hats. If someone needs to sit in a room for 12 hours, that's got to be you. How did you how did you work around your limitations? How did you get to the point where you could do the things that you liked to do and the things you were effective at? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. And this is still something that I really struggle with. You know, for us, we're remote. We're actually gonna be raising a round of financing here shortly. I know it's not the indie hackers way, but once we do that, we're gonna be hiring uh, a bunch of people in New York. And for me, that's kind of gonna be the like the next pivotal point of recapped is where we can actually start having that internal network. And I do think our engineering team is probably always going to be remote and that's fine. But the people that I interact with on a regular with the executive team and the sales team, I need them to be in person. So that's going to be the big step. And then also I realized, you know, I need to, once a week, I go to a different meetup in New York City. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that in New York, every single day, there's something going on. So like every Wednesday I go out, every Thursday I try and go on a date Every Friday and Saturday, I'm out with my friends. But Monday through Wednesday, I'm really, really working. I'm head down. And I think for me, that's been a really good balance just to keep my sanity. Let's talk a little bit about the way that you validated this idea. You tried to sell it to account executives at first. They weren't having it. They said that they would just stick with email and that was good enough for them. You didn't know immediately that you were talking to the wrong people. You just thought that this wasn't going to work. What kind of process did you go through to figure out that that's what was going on? And how can other indie hackers do the same thing? Yeah. So we, so we, we were having these conversations with account executives and I was like, okay, maybe I was just lying to myself because this was my idea and, you know, maybe no one is going to want this. And I actually foolishly ended up believing it. And so right around October, we ended up doing a campaign with AppSumo, which does like a lifetime deal discount. And so we launched it. We're like, what the hell? You know, let's, let's work with them. You know, they had reached out to us and we were big fans because myself and my co-founder, at the time, we're always buying different AppSumo products. You know, it's great. You pay 50 bucks, whether you use it or not, it doesn't matter. So when we launched it, the feedback and the reviews that we actually got were incredible. But what's funny is the users that were using it were not account executives. They were actually consultants and freelancers and maybe like digital marketing agencies or someone that's doing marketing or web design or whatever. And for them... They actually immediately started telling us, they're like, oh, this is great. This is like a collaborative proposal. Uh, it's half proposals, half project management. And immediately I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know? <laughs> and I mean, immediately we had like almost a thousand people that started using it literally overnight. Right. And for us, that was really the turning point because we're like, okay, let's abandon the sales effort and let's just go towards proposals. So we started doing that for about like three months. And then I realized, again, through these conversations that it's still solving the exact same pain point, which is just communication with your client and really just making sure everyone stays on the same page. And there's like 20 different avenues that you can go down that with. But I wasn't actually even talking to the right people. And as I was working these deals where I was trying to get like an agency on board, I found myself still using Recapped to try and close these deals. And then like it clicked in my head and I go, what the hell was I doing? I was just talking to the wrong people. Business to business, sales teams still absolutely need this. 
And ultimately, that's what I was most passionate about versus, you know, like, yes, it's great to do proposals, but that was a market that's already really crowded. And I think there are some really good products out there that do this, whereas like actual like sales collaboration between people, that's an exciting space that no one is doing properly, aside from us, of course. And for me, that was wanting to like take over this new market. And that's really what got me excited about it. So we ended up starting in sales, going to agencies, going back to sales. And that's been the focus ever since. Oh man, that thrashing back and forth, not really knowing what your idea is going to be, changing your idea in your mind, changing how you describe it to customers, and really just having a ton of uncertainty with what is going to work is exactly what it's like to be an indie hacker who hasn't found product market fit yet. Absolutely. How do you deal with the emotions of working so hard and not really knowing if you're going in the right direction without getting discouraged? Jesus, when do I not get discouraged? Uh, I don't think that actually changes. I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. But yeah, I think one of my biggest suggestions when people ask me, you know, do they want to, or what are my tips for starting a company is have a support network, right? And like being an entrepreneur is fucking hard. Like, if I knew it was going to be this hard, I don't know if I would have done it. And I think that's like, you hear other people say that, but until you actually do it, you don't realize like at the best of times, like you're celebrating for a day, maybe a couple hours. Right. And then all of a sudden something breaks or your biggest customer calls you and they want to cancel. And it's, it, that's literally like a daily roller coaster. But on the flip side, that's also what keeps me really like energized and like excited because there's always something new that's happening. And so I think it's so critical to have a co-founder that you can rely on or, or a spouse or a best friend. Like this is the same reason why, why Combinator recommends, you know, co-founders or at least groups of two, right? Because it's, it's so difficult. And I, I go through this every single week. And even when I talk to like my mentors and, you know, people in my network who have these successful multi-million dollar companies. And when I ask them like, Oh, well, everything must be like peaches and sunshine, right? Like you're drawing a good salary. You have dozens of employees and they look at me and they're like, no, you're so wrong. There's always something. And like, I'm always having that second doubt. I think really just the challenge gets bigger. And it's not, can we make, you know, can we afford to pay our employees this week? Now it's, can we afford, you know, to take over this new market or go after a new city or whatever your product is? Honestly, from my perspective, I think it's uniquely challenging when you're in this early phase and you don't have that much traction. You know, you think, that you might be building the right thing, but it's totally possible and it's always a question in the back of your mind that yep. you are investing months into building something that is going to be a dud. What does your support network look like that could get you through this time period where you were still trying to figure out what Recap is? Yeah, excellent question. I, for me, actually, so all my family was on the East Coast and specifically in New York. And so that was one of the reasons I actually ended up leaving San Francisco when I started Recap and going to New York is because I needed that support network. And I knew that if I was sitting in my room by myself in San Francisco where every other day on TechCrunch, someone just raised $30 million and I was struggling to get a customer, like that would not help my mental state. So shout out to my best friends and my brother who literally, I think every single day, I bombard them with shit that they have no, no business being a part of. And like, they almost are like my therapists and that like, that's my support network. And to everyone else, I try and show that like everything is fine, everything is dandy. And yes, we're growing a lot, but like the internal network knows the the vulnerabilities that I'm going through. And, and I think that's like everyone needs that. So I think you had quit your sales job by then. How are you supporting yourself financially during this time? Yeah, so I had, in April last year, I ended up quitting. Um, I was fortunate enough you know, I knew that I wanted my own business for a while. And as Recap started picking up traction, I put all my head down. I, I cut my expenses as much as possible. And I put away about $50,000 to last a runway of what I thought would be a year. <laughs> and going back into it, you know, I was like, oh, if I can't make it in a year, I deserve to go broke, right? Luckily, like literally by like the ninth or 10th month is really when we started seeing the results. Again, it took way longer than I thought it would. But yeah, I was literally just living off savings and trying just trying to do anything possible did some consulting gigs on the side luckily i built up a little bit of a brand from like a sales leader and thought leader and so i'd have people reach out to me and i go you know asking these questions i go oh it's great like why don't i come in and do this training for your team and you know you guys pay me a couple thousand dollars and so that mixed with just 
doing everything possible really kind of helped fund Recapped in the early days. Yeah, that's another stressful part of being a bootstrapper. You are either quitting your job, at which point you have to watch your bank account sort of dwindle down to nothing as you try to build your business, or you're working nights and weekends on the side of your job, which means you're not going to have really that much time for your friends and family and hobbies and stuff like that. And for me with Andy Hackers, I just did the same thing you did. I quit my job. I was working full-time <laughs> as a contractor. I quit that, and I had about a year of runway. And for the first six months, I think I just kind of messed around. I worked on projects that didn't have very much potential. I wasn't really marketing or advertising anything that I built. And then I checked my bank account, and I was like, oh, crap, it's time to get serious. And I had to have a lot more discipline in what I worked on. Did yep. you find you had the same effect as well, or watching your bank account dwindle, you got more disciplined, more serious about your business? Oh, absolutely. And I, I actually, you know, I agree 100%. Like in the early days, immediately, like when I quit, I was like, like that first month, I really did nothing. I sat around and kind of like hung out because I was, you know, waiting for this product to be built uh, that I'd started working with this co-founder and we were like taking the alpha version to like a beta. And so I was like, oh, I could just sit around. Like, I know this will be successful. I'm going to be a millionaire overnight. Why not? And like, then like fast forward three or four months later, I'm like, holy shit, I've already ate through 30% of my savings and I have nothing to show for it. And that's really when it started to light a fire under me and like actually start saying, okay, now I need to go do this because you know in eight months, we will be running out of money. And then I have to go back to working for someone else. And now I just spent the last six months telling how you know all my friends and my whole network, how I'm never going to work for someone else again, <laughs> only to put my tail behind my legs and go find another company, right? So like, that started ticking in. And this is actually something that I don't think a lot of people know is before we did that AppSumo campaign, I had actually burnt through my savings a lot quicker than expected with the move and you know relocating to New York. And we were about two months out from actually going bankrupt as a company. Oh, man. So AppSumo actually ended up saving the company because it reinvigorated. It got us literally like a thousand customers overnight. And from that, we were able to get a bunch of actually paying customers. And so that was like our launch. And so if I don't know what would have happened if we didn't go down that path. So you did this AppSumo launch. You got a ton of people in the door. They're basically convincing you at that point in time that what you should be making is proposal software. And yep. you eventually move away from that because you realize that's a crowded market. You realize that you're still using your own product recapped to handle your sales processes though. And you figure, you know what? Why don't we go back to the initial thesis, be a sales organization selling software to salespeople. What did that process look like and how did things go from there? It's a great question. So the really interesting thing about our product is that, so we have about 25 different industries using us, ranging from you know, financial advisors to digital marketing agencies to you know, sales teams to onboarding teams. For us, the product didn't actually change because early on, I wanted it to be very adaptive and very essentially open to whatever use case the person wanted. Right, like we we wanted to give them the freedom to use it how they wanted within a certain guideline, of course. And so for us, the product really didn't shift that much. Like, sure, we had to scrap a couple things off the roadmap because they wouldn't be as integral to a sales team. But the cool thing is, and, and this is I think very unique to us, the product itself didn't have to change. Really, what had to change was the focus of getting new customers and also the messaging. Right. And but now, like if you go to our website, we have recap for agencies and we have recap for sales teams and the messaging is completely separate but the product is ultimately the same and i think for us like when someone asks me what i do immediately my first question is well what do you do right because there's three different pitches i could give you and for, for us like that was that was a really cool you know opportunity for us and that we didn't really have to actually like start over or change from scratch or like do these huge pivots it's just okay now instead of calling a director of business development at you know, San Francisco digital agency. Now we're calling the VP of sales at Stripe. Walk us through this process of how you're making these calls nowadays. Because with AppSumo, that was more marketing. That was a ton of users coming your way all at once. Whereas nowadays, you have to actually go out, pound the pavement, make these calls. What does that process look like? So one of the reasons I, I knew I wanted to launch like a B2B tech company is because the first six years of my career was in B2B tech sales. Right. So like I had actually up until this point built, you know, six or seven sales teams from scratch for the various companies that I worked at, where literally we went from nothing to like multi-million dollars in revenue, cold calling and doing just cold outreach. 
And so I was like, okay, well, it would be really stupid for me to go do like a B2C consumer app, right? Where I know nothing about. And so for me, like very early on, I knew I wanted to do B2B sales because that's what I was good at and that's what I knew. And so for us, really, it's, you know, grabbing leads, calling people and just literally grinding. I mean, it's, it's not a pretty site. It's, it's a lot of rejection. I mean, I think it's 99% rejection. And the hardest thing in the early days is you don't even know, like you barely know who you're calling, but you don't even know what you're saying, right? Because you don't know what's going to resonate from a value standpoint. And I think that's where talking to your customers is so powerful because they'll actually give you the words to use on your other calls, right? And so for that point, I had to go back, start doing some more customer interviews and saying like, okay, if you were to pitch recap to your coworker, how would you, what would you say? And I would take notes and like, I'd throw them all in Excel sheets and like come up with these sentences that really just work from there. But I think just like anything else, it's taking something and just improving it 10%, you know, every week. And finally, you get to something that doesn't look like dog shit. You know, I don't hear a lot of stuff like this very often because most founders don't do sales. They don't talk to a lot of people in the very beginning. They have no idea how many people are going to reject them. And if they tried doing a couple of sales calls and got a no, they might decide that they have to reconfigure their entire business. How do you know what the line is between you're getting rejected so much, you need to go back to the drawing board and change things, and you're getting rejected a lot, but it's only a matter of making more calls and talking to more people? Yeah, this is a really great question. So I, I was actually thinking about this the other day where you know, you have these two different mindsets, right? You have one where you're telling yourself like you have to be you have to believe in yourself and you have to do it foolishly and you have to keep powering through. And then the other one is like, well, you have to listen to your customers. And like at what point do you balance that? I think luckily for me, the only thing I knew was sales is a funnel, right? You start with 150 calls a day. Of those, you will talk to 10 people. Of those, you will book maybe four or five. Of those, three will show up. Of those, you might close one, right? And like, and I knew that that was kind of the process. And I knew that literally just if I put in enough at the top of the funnel, the end result, you could predictably guess, right? And so for me, the only thing I knew was, okay, well, pound, you know, 300 calls and that will get me two customers. And, you know, if you don't know that, I think it could be really daunting because after a couple hundred calls, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I wasting all this time on this? But for me, that that was just the standard of business to business sales. And that's really all I knew. Yeah, you're bringing your expertise into this. And I think a lot of people who start companies, most indie hackers are software engineers and their expertise is building software. So they're all about adding new features and making things faster and writing tests and refactoring their code. And that's what they spend their time yep. on. But I think as a salesperson coming into this, it's a little bit advantageous because the challenge of building a new business is usually not building the product. It's usually getting it in the hands of customers and convincing them to say yes and give you money. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, I think that was actually one of the biggest challenges is I kept going back and being like, oh, well, if we just had this one extra feature and like, or if we fix this one bug, people would buy. Like, how rarely is that the case? Like, it, that's never the case. But instead, if you can have someone that works with you and that partners with you and believes in the vision of what you're building, and I may, that vision might be a year down the road. That is so much more impactful than, oh, well, you know, they'll come to me next week when we build out this like one integration, right? Because if you're solving a big enough pain point, like they will use it no matter how shitty your product is, right? Like if you look at, you know, the early versions of Segment and like, you know, Dropbox and all these like Hacker News postings from like eight years ago, like people still wanted to use it because it solved a key problem for them. You've been through a lot of highs, a lot of lows in the past year, and things have recently started working out for you pretty well. But let's say you could go back in time one year. What would you do differently? So I think there's two big learnings for me here. One is I would have been more patient. Right? So I, would, I always recommend people don't be so eager to jump into your ideal full time without really substantial income coming in. Right? Like Making that shift and now all of a sudden eating through your savings makes a pretty big psychological impression on you, right? And all of a sudden you start holding yourself accountable to things that you didn't even think about. Like literally it's just, it's a daunting task of all of a sudden you have no money coming in and you're eating through your savings. And so it's like, okay, do I really want to add guac when I met Chipotle? Like, and all of these little subtractions, 
like are not good for your mental state. And they actually get you to start working on the wrong things or making difficult decisions, right? Or even the wrong decisions, right? Because now you're starting to think short term instead of long term. So as much as you can afford it, keep working on that side hustle, put in the hours, you know, during the week, like, I promise you, if you cut Netflix out of your life, you probably will gain a couple more hours a week that you can work on stuff that you really believe in. Right. And so I, one is be patient and really, I wish I would have had a hundred customers before jumping in. Right. But on the flip side, how long would it have taken me to get those hundred customers if ever? Right. So I, I think there's like a good balance there. And then the second thing is really stick to your guns. And I wish I had learned more about product discovery and customer discovery. Like I wish I didn't spend the first three months interviewing account executives because that was the wrong audience. And if I had only just spent time really just having that belief in myself and my use case and really finding other people like me, aka VPs of sales, that would have maybe saved six months and who knows where the product would have been. Right? And I, I think those were really the two big learnings for me over the past year. Okay, let's do the opposite. What are some things that you did well for the past year that you would definitely do again if you could go back in time? I mean, I think the one thing I'm like, one of the things I'm really proud of myself for doing is actually just doing it. Right. Earlier when you said, you know, that like, you know, if you're an employee, you're, you really are a business, but you're selling it to one person. I think that the really the, the only difference between someone that's successful as a business owner and someone that's an employee is the business owner just went ahead and did it. Right. And like, yes, they may fail, but just taking that first step and actually taking the plunge is so, so important. And I think a lot of people hold themselves back from doing this just out of fear or, you know, having, I understand if you have a family and you have a mortgage, like that's very difficult. But if you're single and you're in your early twenties, like that is the time to be, to take the risks. And I'm really glad that my mentors pushed me to do that. And, you know, when they, they pushed me to, leave Raleigh, North Carolina and go to Santa Barbara, California, where I knew nobody or to quit that job and go to San Francisco or to quit that job and launch my own company. Like I'm really just proud that I actually did it. And that was my number one thing to people is just, just fucking do it. Like stop making excuses. Like with your back against the wall, you'll probably figure it out. And if you don't, you're going to learn some stuff and it's going to make the next time easier. Or you may find out you don't ever want to do it again. Right. And those are all really good things to have. Cause like I, I think of myself as like, you know, the regret minimization network or framework uh, that, you know, like, for example, Jeff Bezos will talk about is if I'm 60 and I'm looking back at my life, what am I re- going to regret not doing? And that is a big push for me to actually do. Well, listen, man, you're saying just do it. You're, you're just doing it yourself. It's been really cool to watch you go through this process, watching you post on the Antiochus forum, asking for landing page feedback, and now <laughs> looking at you today, so happy with where your business has come, employing people, generating enough revenue where you're not worried about putting guac <laughs> on your on your burrito at Chipotle. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about what you're up to at Recapped and maybe about your personal life as well if you share that sort of thing online? Yeah, absolutely. So with Recapped, it's just recap.io. You know, so if you're if you're a freelancer or a consultant, Highly recommend you check it out. Uh, if you're in sales, no brainer. But and then also, I am decently active on Twitter. I think it's one thing I want to work on, and that's Mark Fersh, M A R K F E R S H. And then of course, LinkedIn is really where I do like 90% of my stuff. I have another sales blog as well, SellSomeMore.com, uh, where I do some recent updates. But going forward, uh, actually, if you subscribe to Recap.io, you're actually going to get. Um, you're going to get YouTube videos that we'll be posting. I'm going to be posting a lot of sales content going forward on, you know, tone and how to get customers and how to cold call and really just like these really tactical one minute clips going forward. So I would check that out. I'll post everything to Twitter as well. So that would be the best way to find me. All right, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? 
If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the behind the scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.